Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, I'm Soleil Ho, and you're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. Now, I'm not judging you when I say this, just, you know, putting that out there, but I don't typically eat three burgers in one sitting. That's just not my thing. But I did make an exception when visiting Little Eagle Burgers, which is a Bay Area pop-up that specializes in smash burgers. I reviewed it back in the summer of 2021, and I just loved those smash burgers and they were just like piled you know with like gooey american cheese that stuck to your teeth a little bit and griddled onions and they had this like amazing sauce with a little bit of fish sauce in it just to make it super super savory unlike those big old burgs you can find at a lot of american pubs and restaurants they're snackable founder and burger cook zach fernandez who came to the bay area via philadelphia and also singapore squeezes the bejesus out of each patty with a metal press, and he creates these crisp edges through close contact with a flat-top grill. When we first spoke about what motivated him to run his monthly pop-up, his answer kind of took me by surprise. It's not really about making money or building fame. For Zach, it's the pursuit of feeling something. All of the personal satisfaction that I get from it, you know, the therapeutic effect of cooking, the heat of the kitchen, the the frenetic pace of the pop-up. That's all very personal. Now, a few years since he first started smashing burgers, Zach still feels that rush. He also feels haunted by the occasional overcooked patty, which we talk about, but he's compelled to keep cooking. Like, you know, I'm a very anxious person, and the thought of disappointing anybody is just, uh, (laughs) is, is so terrible. Like, that's always in my mind. And so for for as long as there's at least one person who wants to eat the burger, I don't think I have an option to not cook. This intersection of food, cooking, and mental health is something that is really near and dear to me. As someone who also worked out their anxiety through working in restaurants, I get it. And so in that spirit, I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with Little Eagle Burger founder and owner and burger guy, Zach Fernandez. Zach, it's awesome to speak with you again. It's been a minute. It has been a while, yes, and I'm eagerly awaiting my pivot into food media, so this is perfect. (laughs) I'm so glad that Extra Spicy is back. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening, also for being a fan. I love that. It makes me so happy. (laughs) This little podcast that has revived like everyone's favorite little zombie. Thank you. You know, I think this is the first time, too, that someone that I've written a full-length review about has come on the podcast. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, a while back, I wrote about your burger pop-up, Little Eagle Burgers, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, phenomenal. I love it. Big fan. Thank you. And I'm curious, like, what has happened since then? Like, what, you know, what does a review do to an operation like yours? Yeah, your review was uh, terribly timed. (laughs) (laughs) We had planned what uh, what we thought would be a small event at Churn um, Ice Cream, which is an ice cream shop that sadly has uh, shut down now. But uh, we planned a very, very small event thinking that uh, it would be a, a day on the more quiet end of the spectrum. <laughs> and I think you you folks went to 
published the day prior to that. And so we were slammed. I mean, it was great. It was really nice to see people who have a lot of faith in, I guess, your writing and, and the recommendations of the Chronicle and were willing to make trips some as far as from, you know, the East Bay just to try something. So it definitely spiked interest. It spiked demand. I think the other problem is some people maybe don't don't always read the reviews. They just sort of look at the headlines. And so I had a lot of inquiries about where my food truck was and oh, gosh. how many days a week I was operating, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, that's that's kind of a constant problem, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I hope that all the people that we sent over to you, you know, were at least nice and not, because that's the thing I worry about, especially with operations like yours, which are kind of sporadic pop-ups, is that Maybe some people who read the reviews are more demanding kind of diners mm. who, I don't know, uh, who bring their own sort of baggage to things. So I hope that it was a little bit, I don't know. I hope people understood what was going on. Yeah, I, I think I think that they did. And and everybody has, has always been very patient um, with the pop-ups. I just did one at Day Trip. And there's usually this intense rush that comes through as a first wave anytime I do a pop-up. And then it sort of tapers out and, and traffic evens out for the rest mm. the rest of the event. But that first rush is tough because if my ticket times creep to over 20, 30 minutes, I don't know if I can compete with how you value your time, right? The, the burger is as good as the burger can get. But if you have to wait 45 minutes for it, you know, how much does that taint your perception of the quality of the food? My ego is not so big to suggest that anybody should be waiting more than, you know, 15 minutes for one of these burgers. <laughs> but uh, because I am a small one-man operation, sometimes things... Uh, things back up and, and take a bit more time. But yeah. Speaking of which, I do want to circle back to Smash Burgers because I think yeah. you had a first Smash Burger at some point and now you make yeah. them. Um, but I want to hear just about that first experience and also all the sort of taste memories that led up to your kind of ideal of that dish. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Shake Shack is probably the, f the first one. Uh, I used to live on the East Coast and so I, uh, not in New York, I lived in Philadelphia, but I remember when Shake Shack opened there and I had my, my first burger, it was just, the texture was incredible. And, um, uh, and yeah, it, it sort of gripped me in, in a way where I was like, oh man, I need another one of these. And then I think I probably got a second one. <laughs> and so I've, I've, I've always loved Shake Shack. Um, and then when I moved here, you know, of course I was like excited to try in and out and, um, I, I think that the Shake Shack versus In-N-Out debate is a very curious one because to me those are, those two burgers are just apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, you know, In-N-Out didn't really scratch the itch for me in in the same way that Shake Shack did, and um, that's why I, that's why I started making them. But yeah, I I remember I remember texture more than anything, and it was like my mouth had just dis had you know discovered the. Uh, not the antidote, but like it was just a reprieve from those third pound pub burgers. I just can't can't do them anymore. Like my mouth was just exhausted. I think with having to chew through, uh, you know, these huge slabs of of patty, and to have a, a far more texturally interesting burger definitely cemented my mind that like this. Okay, this is this is my burger for life. This is my desert island burger. <laughs> if they have ground beef on a desert island, that would be if they, exactly. So, okay, what's your gripe with a third pound burger? I would love to have you recount that for us. Yeah, I think, you know, if you, if I wanted meatloaf, I would order meatloaf <laughs> is, is what I, is what I tell people, but it's, it just, it gets to be, it gets to be too much. And I think there is, it seems like stylistically, it's not just about the pub burger, right? It's about, oh, we got to put all these 
ridiculous toppings on it, like foie and, you know, crispy onions and barbecue sauce and the bun. Brioche buns, I think, are the stupidest thing that anyone has ever done to a burger. They just, they don't hold up. They get soggy. They fall apart. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just, I can't stand them anymore. I feel, I feel they've run counter to what the burger is supposed to be to me, which is a snack. I think that if you look at the history of the burger and, and how it came about, I think it was like a world's fair or something, right? Where someone slapped a Hamburg steak in between two pieces of bread. Like it's a, it's a portable, mobile, small format snack. Um, I don't think it was ever, it was ever intended to be, you know, a multi-thousand calorie meal. So, okay. What catapults you from wanting to fill this gap, right? Of making the burger that you want for yourself to eat and enjoy to doing these pop-ups that are completely, I mean, I think they're sort of bananas. Like the, the work that you put into them is so intense and, you know, the lines of dealing with people, like how do you, how do you go from A to B here? Uh, dumb luck. Honestly, there's, uh, I bought this little 17 inch Blackstone griddle with the intent of making burgers for me and a couple of friends. I was like, all right, if I want to make a good smash burger, I need a griddle. And so let me just buy this thing from Home Depot with the little, you know, one pound propane canister that you're supposed to go and take camping. And after I did that, I, I, just, I felt like I needed to, I don't know, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I felt like I needed to share the experience <laughs> with other people. I was like, people need to taste this, not because I thought that what I was doing was so spectacular, but just because of the format, right? Like it, at the time, Shake Shack hadn't opened in, I don't think Palo Alto had opened or San Francisco certainly wasn't open yet. Um, and so I felt like people on the West Coast needed exposure to what in my mind was a very East Coast uh, thing. And so I begged uh, my neighborhood bar, Timber and Salt, which at the time had started doing a pop-up series on Mondays. So when the, the restaurant was closed, they would open the bar, but because of their liquor license, they had to serve food. And so usually they would have sandwiches and brownies and stuff like that. And I said, Hey, can I please just come and sling some burgers? You know, pretty low risk stuff. It's only regulars that are here. Um, and if they hate it, I'll never do it again. And I went and uh, at the time I invited Qasim uh, Syed who runs Salvaje over in Palo Alto. And I said, hey man, you should come and check out this burger. And he really liked it. And he said, hey, do you want to do this at my, at my wine bar? And that's sort of when volume picked up. And so, yeah, it really was just dumb luck um, and, asking, and asking people if I could please just serve burgers <laughs> to their customers. <laughs> You're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Soleil Ho, and we're back with Zach Fernandez. In general, I mean, after that first review, how how long did it take until things sort of sold out? After that first review, I mean, we sold out. We sold out before we opened technically <laughs> that day at, at Churn. Yeah, because we, we had planned a small event, like a hundred burgers or something like that, and uh, folks were lining up over an hour before oh doors opened. So, um, you know, we, we counted through the line and unfortunately had to turn some folks away. But uh, yeah, it was it was quick. Uh, 
people people seem to trust you, Soleil. <laughs> I don't know why. Who am I? I don't know. <laughs> but also, I think what I've observed in San Francisco in particular is that people really like to stand in lines. Have you noticed people that? People do like to stand. Yeah, the people do like to stand in lines. People like to be part of the, I guess the zeitgeist is maybe the best way to put it. The the one line that always shocks me is the the miracle at Pacific Cocktail Haven oh, pop-up line. Yeah. yeah, and I love PCH and love miracle just as a concept. And so I'm there all, all the time. And, and I always join the line and knowing what to expect, but yeah, it shocks me that people are so willing to stand in line and do stuff. I wonder, I wonder what the drive is, you know, is it just that they want to be a part of something or uh, FOMO maybe? It might be. I mean, I think that's why people read reviews too, is that they want to know, you know, how to optimize their eating experiences maybe. And so yeah. like when I write something about how your smash burger is like incredible Right. Like people think, okay, what price am I going to pay for this um, time wise? Because it's not that expensive either. Right. It's like eight or nine dollars. And um, so you make up for that in time as well. I think people have this little calculus that they do in their heads when it comes to that sort of thing. Right. They they really do. And I think the the scariest part is I just don't have line of sight into what it, what that equation is, right? I wish I I wish I knew the calculus because I'm a, I'm a sensitive guy. You know, like I'm not a I'm not a full-time uh, hardened seasoned restaurant industry person. I care very deeply about the, you know, what little food I do serve. And so the thought of someone having a bad experience is it just haunts me. I mean, I I remember every burger that I'm not proud of. In fact, with the day after the review came out at Churn, I still remember there was a uh, there was a ticket for a person named Jessica, who in the rush of that first wave of of tickets coming in, I forgot to put a top bun on her burger, <laughs> and oh, no. she took it to go and walked away. And I was like, oh no! And I couldn't find. And I screamed like at the top of my lungs <laughs> down the street. I was like, Jessica! And then I made an Instagram apology. I was like, if anybody named Jessica, you know, had an open face burger, it was not intentional. Please let me let me make it right. And I never heard from her, but I will not forget. Jessica and the missing bun. Wow. I have an image of you like Stanley in Streetcar Named Desire, just like screaming. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Uh, that must be painful. I mean, how many how many burger poltergeists haunt you to this day? Uh, just a handful. I mean, there's the missing top bun. There was there was one burger I remember that um, that was was probably cooked a little bit more than it should have, and I and I never should have sent it out uh, back in the early days in Palo Alto. That one haunts me. Uh, and then we had a bit of a salt snafu at at uh, at a pop up I did at Joe's Ice Cream. I switched salts, which I've learned now not to do, and maybe over seasoned a couple. Oh, okay. <laughs> so tell me, what is the difference between the salts that you were using? Uh, I usually just use like standard David's kosher salt, mm. and I had. Instead of bringing my own salt, I was using salt from the venue, and uh, and I guess it was just saltier salt, which is so crazy to <laughs> to say, but we know that that happens, right? Salt is based on the size of the crystals and all that other junk can vary, and so I've learned my lesson. I'm going to try and minimize the number of variables at all times. Do not do not switch things up. Do not switch your salt. <laughs> well, you know what's weird for me too, though, is like. As a critic, I have a lot of anxiety in a similar way about sending people mm-hmm. to experiences that I thought were great, but maybe they don't think are great. And so right. <laughs> I, I also lay awake at night thinking, you know, if someone emails me like, oh, I went to this place and that you recommended and I hated the calamari, actually. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I just don't know anything. I'm garbage. I just, you know, I, I had that sort of cycle of self-loathing and just like doubt and imposter syndrome. Oh, no. You know, like, <laughs> I get it. I get yeah. what you're saying. 
Yeah, and the thing that was really interesting about the about the assault thing was I, um, you know, I made multiple passes out uh, wherever possible to sort of check in and see how how people were doing. And um, I got an Instagram message from a, a very nice guy at the end, and he was like, "Hey, man, you know, great to great to see the success. Food was great. Thank you so much. Just one piece of feedback. It was a little salty." And I was like, "Oh man, you should you should have told me, and I would have you know remade it for you." Um, and he was like, oh, I didn't want to like mess up the vibe or interrupt. And I think people it's I think people now are at a point where I don't know the last time I've dined out with somebody who's sent something back. And I wonder if, you know, I wonder if we should be doing that a little bit more, maybe in some cases. Mm. Like, is it better? Is it better to alert um, the establishment that you're dissatisfied and and offer them a chance to make it up to you? Mm-hmm. Or Oh, that's a really good um, question. I mean, I wonder yeah. if it's the temperament of people here, because I certainly in New York, I've I've been party to food being sent back several times. Yeah, I think it might just be a, an attitude, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess the smaller the operation, and and uh, I also wonder if there's like a, you know, if there's a level of if people have to justify to themselves if they when they go to try something that's let's say hyped up or you know has been written about if they if they come away from that feeling dissatisfied. Whether they feel like they're they're like chumps or fools or something, or like they've been taken for a run, <laughs> and maybe and maybe that colors their perspective a little bit, and so you know they just they want to try to push through and have as positive an experience as possible to say that they did something. But I, I don't know. I I like to believe that people are are just genuinely good folks out in search of good food, and um, sometimes things fall short of expectations, and they they try to approach it as nicely as they can. And then of course we have the the minority of people who are assholes. <laughs> right. Well, I think there is a really interesting contextual element to this too. Like say if mm-hmm. you go to the French Laundry, right? Like a, a fancy right. pants restaurant where you're dropping 300 plus per person on a meal and the food is just not, there's like something that's up, right? Something is wrong. I think we have a tendency to gaslight ourselves into thinking, oh, like I'm the wrong one yeah. in this case, you know? Um, yes. How could I possibly know more than Thomas Keller? But I think like, and, and we don't have a script either for how to mm-hmm. deal with this in a way that is kind, you know what I mean, to both yourself yes. and the people who are working. Um, I don't know. I, I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld, so <laughs> <laughs> um, there are many bad ways of doing it, as evidenced by George Costanza as a human being. Yeah, exactly. And I guess it, 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 the tough thing with restaurants also is it, it requires a, a sort of a base level of knowledge about the dish that you think you're about to get right right? right. like if you've um if you're eating something for the first time and you're not you're not sure um what it's supposed to taste like it might just be the case that you don't like it right and um maybe that's how the dish is traditionally prepared so that i I struggle with also when i evaluate restaurants just as a customer right like when i go when i go and and eat stuff especially if it's a cuisine i'm unfamiliar with or that i'm exploring for the first time i guess the, the only way around it is to just eat as much as possible. And then you can build this little bank of taste experience that you can rely on. Pop-ups to me can be sort of the ultimate privilege where you're able to do what you want to do on the purest level because there's you know very little overhead. Um, usually it's just you or you know a partner or a friend who's helping out. You don't have to pay for rents or any of that other stuff. Can you talk about like what kind of compromises that you avoid in, in doing this sort of thing? Yeah, I think I, I try to make sure that I'm always in a position to serve the product as it was designed. And so um, there are very, very tempting 
pop-up opportunities that I know could be high volume, but that might require a compromise. Like let's say not toasting buns or, you know, having to, having to serve food a little bit colder than I would prefer. And, and so I won't compromise on ingredients, but luckily for me that, that really doesn't have to happen, right? Onions are easy to find. American cheese is easy to find and ground beef is easy to find. Um, and so the compromise is almost always on the experience and, and, you know, can I make the burger the way that I want to make it? And then can I serve it in a way where people can enjoy it? And that's why I like stuff like the pop-up I did with day trip because, you know, hanging out at a wine bar and eating a burger, I think is like a very cool thing to do. Um, (laughs) if someone was like, do you want to come to my sports bar, uh, you know, and serve people after a Niners game or something like that, I would be much more worried about being able to deliver the kind of experience that I think people have today at the pop-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think too, you probably would, why would you even do the pop-up if you had to make all those compromises in the first place? Cause you don't have to do it. Right. Exactly. You don't have to do it. And that's the, that's the beautiful and sort of torturous thing about this, right. Is like, there is a, a spectrum exists from passion to commerce and I'm just have the privilege of sitting a little bit closer to the passion side than, than the commercial side. If this were my livelihood, I'm, I'm almost certain I would have to make compromises um, because that's how businesses work. And so I recognize that I'm speaking from a, from a place of privilege. But, you know, that's the, that's the beauty of the, I think the food ecosystem is if you've got something tasty, you know, someone will want to pay you money to eat it. And so, and so I don't feel bad about not making compromises. I recognize that, that I don't have to. But I think I'm not the only one, right? There, there are certainly other folks out there who run small operations that are also unwilling to make compromises. And for them, maybe that's the barrier to scale is they're just unwilling to ever put themselves in a situation where they have to make a compromise. Mm-hmm. What do you get out of this? Besides, you know, I, I don't think you make that much money off of these, right? No, it, I don't. I, I cover my expenses. Um, I think there, there's a path to profitability for, sh- for sure. There's, there could definitely be a, a business here. Mm. Um, if, I, if I look at the numbers, I don't know if I'm, if I'm ready to, to do that because one of, one of my big problems is I don't think I'm ready for someone else to cook my food. Like the, the bulk of the pleasure I get is from the process and from the feedback I get from customers. I don't know that, I don't know that I want anybody else picking up my smasher and, and smashing and, and serving a little legal burger. And so all of the personal satisfaction that I get from it, you know, the therapeutic effect of cooking, um, the heat of the kitchen, the, the frenetic pace of the pop-up, that's that's all very personal to me. And and I think I need a direct connection to the food uh, to get any benefit from it at all. And so it's hard to put into words what I, what I get out of it, but um, it's certainly a rush. I mean, in a way, it feels to me, and, and this is something that my boss, Serena Dye, has said as a recent transplant from New York, is that a lot of people in the Bay Area have hobbies. Like, that's a thing out here. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like a major pursuit, but people at parties ask, like, so what are your hobbies? Like, what are you into? Um, yeah. And does this feel like part of that spectrum? Because it kind of does sound like, you know, a passion project that you don't have to do for fun and also like kind of mental ease. It seems like a hobby. It does seem like a hobby. I think the the difference between uh, between a hobby and this is that like this hasn't this now has an audience and and a reputation to uphold and customers who want something right the like the bay trail is not going to miss you if you decide to stop jogging <laughs> um, you know mount tam will not will not miss your presence if you decide not to hike it one day 
And um, so, so I think there is a, a little bit of a difference there. But yeah, it, it passion project for sure. I, I think the, the misnomer, though, is that I could stop doing it. Like, you know, I'm a very anxious person. And the thought of disappointing anybody is just uh, <laughs> is, is so terrible. Like, that's always in my mind. And so for, for as long as there's at least one person who wants to eat the burger, I don't think I have an option to not cook the food. Do you feel almost imprisoned by this? That's that's heavy. Yeah, I'm I'm compelled to do it. Um, in, in, definitely, I don't know. In, imprisoned? Maybe like there's an element of Stockholm syndrome. I th- I'm <laughs> held hostage. I think by by the fact that like now I know what the high feels like of somebody saying, "Hey, this thing tastes really good." Mm. Right, and and the validation that I get from that. Now, now that I know that that exists at the other end of this sandwich, I just can't not do it. I can't deprive myself of that. Until I find the next thing, right? Who knows? Maybe I make pretty good ice cream now at home. <laughs> like maybe the next thing is that this is just going to become an ice cream pop-up. So my final question. There are probably a lot of people who are listening right now who are just trying to find like that thing that they do that is like outside of their everyday life that gives them that kind of high that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people who want to find that and just like are struggling to figure out what that might be? Yeah, I think you know, try and try and try and try until someone tells you that that you've got something good, and then don't believe them and wait for five more people to tell you that you've got something good. <laughs> and then once you've reached that point, I think you you know you've hit it. It requires I don't I don't want to say it requires a lack of ego, but you you should be you should be critical. I think that w- one of the things that's that's a shame um, when it comes to sort of small small scale food projects is why do it if you're not adding something to the conversation, mm. right? And, I, you know, I don't mean to suggest that my pop-up has, like, cultural weight, but th- when I started doing it, you just couldn't get a smash burger. <laughs> so it was important for me to deliver that. And so I think for folks who are trying to find their passion, like, figure figure out what's missing from the equation that you can contribute, or if you have something that you do better than anybody else, go and do it. But if you do something just that's just sort of mediocre... Is that the best thing to do? You know, you you could probably get some version of the same rush, and you may even be able to turn a profit. But how do you how do you live with yourself, right? Like I, I think what I fear the most is mediocrity. It's not even when you were preparing to write that review, I would have I would have happily accepted a, a very negative and critical review. You know, as much as as much as I enjoy what you wrote, I think my biggest nightmare was that people would eat this thing and go meh. And so I think for folks who are trying to chase their passion. Just don't be meh about it. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really good advice. I mean, it also sounds like the product of Asian parenting. I hear a lot of that yeah. in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, yeah, th- that's definitely in there. Yeah. But I would also say to our listeners, if you, if the only thing you're good at is like painting Warhammer figurines in a kind of like bad way, like that's fine too. Love yourself, <laughs> exactly. it's fine. Exactly. Well, can you tell the listeners where they can find information about your pop-up? Yes. Uh, the most up-to-date information is at Lil Eagle Burger on Instagram. Uh, I also have lileagleburger.com uh, that's up-to-date, but we pop up about once a month. And latest info is always on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining me on the show, Zach. This has been, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thanks, Soleil. Hope to run into you soon, whether that's at a pop-up or someone else's cooking. Today's episode was produced and edited by Taya Francesca Price with help from executive producer Sarah Feldberg. If you're enjoying Extra Spicy, 
please tell a friend about it and give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. 